John 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. Jesus answered, Are they not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved them. But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Good morning. Um, Well, I was a little bit worried that it was too long, but after we read the passage, I realized, no, it wasn't. So good to hear God's word. And uh, I think it took many of us maybe back to a moment where you you do remember learning that, whether it was in Sunday school or somewhere. I sure do. Uh, And what a privilege it is that we can just spend time reading God's word. I almost feel like I don't need to say anything, so... Maybe I'll, maybe I won't. No. What I'll do is uh, I'll open in a word of prayer for us, because as we come before God's word, uh, it's not about us. It's about hearing from God. It's about opening our hearts, opening our minds, and receiving from Him. So let's close our eyes once more, and really, as we pray, think about where your heart is. Think about where your mind's at. And just bring it before the Lord and say, Heavenly Father, I'm here not for my own sake, not for my own glory, not for my own purpose, but to glorify you and to get to know you better so that I can glorify you. And then we'll unpack why I chose this verse, this chapter for us. So let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of reading your word, singing hymns and songs to you, to you in your name. And Lord, we thank you that in this world there is hardship and we know that it is only for a moment and that in the bigger scheme of things we will one day see your glory face to face and that we will then realize that it's not about this, this hardship and the struggles that we face, but it's all about your glory all about your goodness, all about your grace, all about your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world to die for us and rise again as we have sung this morning so that we can have life and life in your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. So I'm not going to read through it again. Don't worry. I won't go through that whole section again. But as I was busy preparing, I realized that it's so difficult to actually take snippets out of the story, Uh, because the whole story carries such a weight to it. 
The whole story around Lazarus and what happened carries such a weight and there's so many little intricate pieces to what was happening. Uh, just around the story you have, you, you, we find this in John's Gospel and John is an interesting author. He, as we read this morning, he gives pieces of information that have not yet come in the beginning and, and then he jumps right to the end of his book and you'll find that he's telling you what the whole book is about when you think that should have been in the front. So he's all over the show. But John has constructed this, this book in an incredible way for us to see what, what he's focusing on. And, and what John is focusing on in, the, in, his, in this book, in the Gospel of John, is on Christ. Believing in him, seeing him, recognizing him, and following him into life. That Christ is the life. And, and that's John's motive. Um, and at this point in the story, we get to what is an argument for some, but we're going to say for, for the sake of, of where we're at, that this is the seventh sign. Some want to argue that it's sixth, but it doesn't really matter. The fact is that Jesus is revealing his heavenly Father. He's revealing his glory. He's revealing God's goodness through himself. And this, we come to this point, whether you want to call it the sixth or the seventh sign, it is a sign of raising Lazarus from the grave. Uh, just before it, uh, they were just on the outskirts of Bethany. So Jesus is not too far away, but he's far enough not to get himself into too much hot water. Um, and you hear by the words of Thomas when they say, hey, we've got to go back to Bethany. Say, well, pff, they wanted to kill you last time, so here we go. We're going to our death now. Um, but in one sense it was true because Jesus was heading there, setting up things in a way that people were turning against him because either they, they saw him as this figure that was really strong and powerful through the signs and miracles in a, in a way that would oppose the authorities of the time uh, or it just went against the religious system. They didn't want to acknowledge him and unfortunately they didn't want to because Jesus was performing incredible miracles to reveal who he was and yet they still couldn't believe it. So we find ourselves at that point in John's gospel where he's on his way. But before he goes, he hears news of Lazarus who's about to die. Uh, a tragic thing. It's, it's really tragic. And, and for us sitting here, we, we know that this world is filled with not only death, but destruction and hardship and difficulty uh, some of us have recently lost loved ones, and I've spoken to a few of us, but it's a tough thing. It's difficult sometimes to wrap our head around. Uh, my uncle, who was two weeks ago now, uh, you almost want to say, but how is that fair? Before, it's, before his time, no, this couldn't be. Uh, especially through sickness, and we're reminded that in this world, we are in a world filled with sickness, um, and it's, it somehow doesn't seem fair. But in this story, uh, as Jesus is about to get on, to, to head to Lazarus, he, he shares something incredible, an incredible piece of information uh, about Lazarus and about his death that I think isn't just a once-off story, but a, a reminder for us that as we look at the story of Lazarus, this is a story of our lives. This is a reflection of our lives that we live in a broken world. Death is knocking on all our doors. Sickness is knocking on all our doors. Hardship is knocking on all our doors. 
And we want to say, but God, help us. Save us from this. Set us free from this. Let me live the rest of my days without sickness, without death. And in one sense, he does do that. But not in the way we expect. And John captures that. It's never in the way we quite expect and quite understand. And when we think we got it, he flips it around again, uh, as he does with Mary and Martha. Oh, yeah, yeah, we know. We understand. You're the resurrection at the end of time. And he said, no, I'm the resurrection now. That's why he could do what he did. But yes, we're in a world that is broken, that is in pain. But listen to verse 4. And this is, this is the, the verse that I want us to just weigh ourselves in and, and think about and meditate on as we work through this pieces of this, of this passage. And I won't go through it all, but look at verse 4. Jesus just heard about Lazarus being sick. And he says this, the sickness will not end in death. Okay. But he says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And I want us to look at that, that God is glorified in our suffering. That's why I've titled it what I have, that in our very suffering, we need to be able to get to a point where we look at our lives and go, my very suffering is even for God's glory. Can we say that this morning? With absolute conviction that that is true. That my sickness, my hardships, my difficulties is for God's glory. Because that's a tough thing to say. We don't easily want to say it. Because we're measuring ourselves to the people next to us that seem to have a better life. Or maybe it's to the, the thing that's put out there as we watch TV or movies or whatever, this, this perfect world. It's not real. But our suffering is there for His glory. Suffering is there to glorify Him, to glorify Jesus Christ. Now I understand that the passage is talking about Lazarus and his death. Um, but let's take note. He's, Jesus makes a comment. He says, the sickness is not going to lead to death. But on arriving there in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead four days. So that must have struck some confusion. They must have scratched their head and thought, man, why? What do you mean? He's dead. So it's obvious, though, that he wasn't referring to just a physical death but a spiritual one. There's more motive behind what Jesus did and what he said, behind just that. Let's, let's look one more verse. Let's hear what he says about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's got a motive. He's got an intention as to why he's doing it, why this is for his glory and why he isn't going immediately. He says, yeah, now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters, and Lazarus. And then verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, I just want to pick up, so is not quite strong enough. The word is therefore. Therefore. Because he loved them. He heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed. He stayed there where he was two more days. Now that does not make sense. Here's a man. He's busy dying. Imagine you phone a doctor 
He said, Doctor, I'm dying. And Leon's not here, so unfortunately we can't turn to him. But imagine you phone a doctor and you say, Doctor, I'm not doing well. Can you quickly come? And he said, yeah, I'll see you in two days. I can guarantee you, you won't be happy about that. Because you're, you're, the condition that you're in right now feels like it's the most severe, the most tragic, the most, and it needs attention as quickly as possible. And Jesus is saying, I'll be there in two days because I love you. So think about that for a minute. That sounds strange. As I said, John, John captures these things where God, where Jesus just flips it back to front. He does it the other way around. When you expect him to go because he loves, he stays. And when you think he is the resurrection in eternity, which is the right answer, he's saying, no, I'm the resurrection right now. And you go, how is this? How does this work? And so Jesus stays for two days because he loves them. And I just want to skip a little bit on, as I say, just capture some of these pieces of the story that we can see why it is glorifying God. Uh, The next point that I just want us to glance at is the fact that it wasn't just a momentary thing. It wasn't brief. It wasn't, there's, there's no area for confusion in the way John captures it. He doesn't try to create confusion in us. And, and he captures this because he says the disciples are busy talking about it because Jesus has said that he's used the word asleep. That Lazarus is asleep and he's, ah, we're going to go and wake him. His disciples replied, verse 12, they replied here, Lord, if, he's, if he sleeps, he will get better. Yeah, sleep is good for us. Eh? Get some rest, you know. Surely you'll wake up feeling better in the morning. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And some of us laughed at this next part. But So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, I like to think it might be that way that he responded to them. Guys, Lazarus is dead. Um, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Is it starting to fall into place why Jesus has waited two days? He's waited so that people may see his glory. And his glory is shown through this incredible sign that he's about to perform. He's saying, I'm not rushing off to save Lazarus. Save him from his sickness. Save him from everything that he's going through to make him better. But I'm waiting I'm waiting that he dies so that I can show you something greater. If we think about it, we could flip back and there's another story that lies two chapters just before this. Chapter 9. This man that's been blind since birth. His disciples come up to him at that point and say, Jesus, who, who sinned? This man or his, or his parents? And Jesus says, nobody sinned. This man is blind so that the Son of God may be glorified. That starts to blow your mind. That there are things that are in this world for his sake, for his glory. Now, not all of us might escape our struggles. Not all of us might escape the hardships of this life as we might expect. 
But I can guarantee you that you are free of it in Christ. That in your sufferings that we experience today, they're temporary. But there is something greater, something more than what you're expecting. Now you might say, Sean, I know this already. I know this. Well, it's good. Let's hear it again. There is a motive behind what Jesus has done. And how John captures it is he's pointing ahead to what Christ is about to do. John's, uh, Lazarus's death is not just a coincidence. And the way Jesus does it is not just a coincidence. He is preparing the way and he's proving a point. That he is the life. That he is the resurrection. So what I just want to quickly show you, and I'm going to read this for us, just so that you may understand how this fits in. John's summary statement for his, for his book is in John 20, 31. And when he refers to these, he's referring to the signs that he's recorded throughout the book. And it says this, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And now hear this part. And that by believing, you may have life in His name. He has revealed Himself. And John captures aspects of how He has revealed Himself. For His glory. For His goodness. So that we can see, today we can look at it and say, wow, Jesus did that? And he's done much more. He himself has come into the world, suffered, died on a cross, and rose again. So that we may believe in him and have life. So while I was working through this passage I realized that there's something significant about the glory of God. And I do want to draw our attention just to this, this idea that the glory of God is quite phenomenal. Jesus says that he, he has glorified the Father because He is revealing the Father to man. And beyond that, he cries out to God saying, glorify me. And Christ we see is glorified through his death and resurrection. So that got me thinking. That maybe the glory that we use, and we throw words around, unfortunately, in our language very easily. But I think that what's wrapped up in the glory of God is the very essence of life that comes from God. The very thing that exudes from God and His character is life. And when you look at God, you can't help but see life. When you look at Christ, you can't help but see life. And when God is glorified, and you recognize that, there is life. There is life in Him. And that is the, the glorification an aspect of the glorification of Christ. That He came into this world to die on a cross to be glorified, to bring life into the world. 
So that got me thinking further. Because Paul picks up on something very fascinating. And I want us to flip there. And, and this is the last chunky piece that we'll actually read. But let's go to Romans 8. I just want to pick up on something that, that Paul says about the glory of God. And not to put Paul on a pedestal in any, any way, but the way he says things it cuts to the bone. It cuts to the heart. Because what he says here, I think, captures exactly what it means that God is glorified in our suffering. So let's look. Um, I'll read for us from verse 28. Romans 8:28. Listen to this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Carry on. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does Paul not capture that so magnificently? Nothing, nothing, nothing can change that reality. That Jesus Christ is the life. That He is the one that is glorified. And through Him, He will glorify and nothing will separate us from that. 
But see, Paul, he doesn't even swerve away from those things. He says, these things are here. That's why he lists them. I mean, we can look there again, but I'm not going to read it. You, you read it for yourself. But verse 35, he just lists them. Because those are realities. They're in this world. We face them daily. Verse 36, he echoes it again. We are like lambs to the slaughter. But not in Christ. In Christ, we have the victory. In Christ, we have life. So to come back to why I chose to go through John 11 and to look at the topic of God's glory in our suffering is that even in the midst of the darkest and dangerous and most severe circumstances in our life that we think we could possibly face, Christ is bigger. He is greater. And He allows it. He allows it so that we can long for more of Him and not cling to this world. Our suffering in this world must remind us that this world is temporary, but that He is eternal. That our suffering is temporary, but He is the one that holds life in His hands. And He offers that to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't think there is another way. Don't think that there is another option. Don't think that there is a way out of your suffering. But let it stir up in you the longing for Christ and the life that He has to offer. So this might come as a bittersweet thing to hear. That suffering might not go away in this world. And there might be seasons of good and bad moments. But that our hope lies in Christ. That's where we can be assured that we can rest in Him, that we can trust in Him, that He is the good one. He is the one that has come and suffered in our place. He suffered the ultimate thing. He paid the penalty of death that we will never be able to pay. Now I've spoken myself into a corner because I don't know how I'm going to speak about glory again. And I want to. (laughs) Next week I want to speak more about God's glory. But look at a different aspect of it. Because God's glory is not, you can't put it in a box. And and I want to look at an aspect of, of something more about what it means to see God's glory, recognize His glory, know His glory to whatever limited extent we can here on earth. Until one day we do see Him face to face. We do experience His glory. And I think on that note, let us, we'll close. But as we close, reflect on what Christ has done for you. Reflect on the hardships, maybe the struggles that you face this week. And often we say, you know, in your hardships, look, you can always look around you and you'll find someone that's worse off. I don't want us to do that. I'm not trying to make us feel miserable. 
But I want you to recognize that, yeah, I am broken. I am hurting. This life is difficult. But my God is greater. He's bigger. He's much better. We need to reflect within ourselves the hardships that we face. Not, not looking outward to try and make yourself feel better, but recognize that this is difficult, but my God is good. Look to God in your moments of trials. Look to God. Seek Him first. Seek Him first. And as you've gone, as you've pondered on that, and as we've prayed together, we're going to then come around the table of the Lord. And we're going to share in, in communion together that, that what you experience in your own lives is not isolated, but that as a body of believers, we are sharing in Christ. And I'm going to give us an opportunity to really reflect during that time, and hopefully it'll be, hopefully we all walk away encouraged by it. Because there is hope. There is hope. Let's close our eyes and let's pray. And gracious Father, we thank you that we can praise you even in our trials, even in our hardships, even in our suffering. That this world is difficult, Lord, and we stumble all too often. Sometimes we feel like Lazarus, who is on the verge of death. Whether it's physical, emotional, whatever it is, Lord. May we recognize that even in that, you've not abandoned us. And that you will be glorified. Lord, that our suffering is not the end of all things. But that it leads to the beginning of life. Because from this world, we will move on into a life that is filled to the brim. Lord, that as we struggle, that we now can already taste of the life that you have given us in Christ. So stir it up in our hearts a love for you, a passion for you, a desire to reach out for every ounce of life that you have to offer us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in the only name we can. Jesus Christ. Amen.